Uh, we now move to the second part of uh, our evening's program. And I'm delighted to introduce uh, tonight's discourse, the presidential discourse by Professor Michael Peter Kennedy. Uh, Peter Kennedy is Professor of Microelectronic Engineering at University College Dublin. Uh, he is Scientific Director of the Microelectronic Circuits Centre Ireland and is also Head of the UCD School of Electrical and Electronic Engineering. Peter received his BE in Electronics degree from UCD, his MSc and PhD from the University of California at Berkeley and his DEng from the National University of Ireland. Uh, he has worked with Philips and UCD uh, and also UCC and has held visiting academic appointments in Hungary, Italy, Poland, Switzerland, the UK and the United States. Peter has over 400 publications, including monographs and patents, ranging from blue skies to applied research in the fields of chaos theory, neural networks, nonlinear dynamics, mixed signal test, and frequency synthesis. He was elected a fellow of the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineering, IEEE, in 1998, and his citation acknowledged his contribution to the theories of uh, neural networks and nonlinear dynamics and for leadership in nonlinear circuits research and education. Peter was elected to membership of the Royal Irish Academy in 2004. He served four years as Secretary for Policy and International Relations and is currently completing the third and final year of his term as President of the Academy. I now invite Professor Kennedy to present his discourse, Reflections on the Role of a Learned Academy. Thank you, Pat. Um, they told me I could talk about whatever I liked. And unfortunately, um, my professional topic is probably not of great interest to most people. So I thought I'd better talk about another topic um, that maybe will draw an audience. And like Nicholas, um, I think the Academy has done more for me than I have done for the Academy. And I just want to share with you some of the things that I have learned along the way. Um, I'm biased in the, based on the experiences I've had, uh, but I'll share those experiences with you. Uh, I've seen good times, I've seen bad times, I've seen lots of different academies, as I'll explain. Um, and I'll, as I say, reflect on the role of the Learned Academy. So uh, that's me, Michael Peter Kennedy, just to show that we didn't share notes. Uh, I said I would first tell you about me, uh, say a little bit about Learned Academies, and talk about the unique selling points of an academy. Uh, I come from the side of the house where we um, have to justify ourselves all the time. We get money from the state for our research or for our education, and we need to say uh, why we're special, and we spend our whole time doing this. So uh, I'll apply this to uh, the academy. 
And I'll conclude by discussing some of the challenges. Academies have been around for a long time. Um, I think most have survived in different parts of the world, some are under threat. Many are changing, uh, they're forced to change because they're losing business and others are doing things better. So it's important that we think about why are we special, um, why are we needed? And as uh, Tony had said earlier, um, what's our impact, what's our long-term impact? So just about me, as you've heard, uh, I'm Professor of Microelectronic Engineering at University College Dublin, uh, a title I got while in Cork under Jerry Rickson. Um, scientific Director of the Microelectronic Circuits, so that's what I do. That's microelectronic circuits, that's computer chips. Um, I studied in UCD, I studied in Berkeley. I think I was transformed in Berkeley because I saw an American way of doing things which really had a huge impact on me. Um, I have my DNG for research publications from the NUI. And as Pat had said, I, I worked in a number of different places. I'll explain uh, how that came about. And so much of it was due to the academy. And I learned so much from that. And those experiences too changed my life in much the same way as Nicholas has described. My own area, as you heard, nonlinear dynamics and frequency synthesis. The individual words you might recognize when you put them together, they probably don't make sense anymore. Um, that's what I do. Uh, chaos theory, that's how I started. Uh, so to me, everything is complicated, even the simplest things. And when people tell me they can make predictions, I smile to myself. So uh, he, Pat also mentioned that I did everything from blue skies to applied research. We, we talk a lot about who applied versus basic research. I've always done what I call curiosity-driven research. Uh, I just do what I'm interested in. And in terms of research grants, we always have to write down, I'm going to do this and I'm going to produce X. Um, I've always said I'm going to do this and I'm going to produce X, but I never produced X. I always found something more interesting along the way. So I'm absolutely convinced that all research is uh, serendipitous. The, the good research, if you know what you're going to achieve, well, it's not really research, is it? Um, but I think what we all do in our research is we try to get some understanding of the area and from the understanding gain uh, insight. And if we have that insight, then maybe, well, we can, from our side as engineers, we can invent, we can change things. Um, and that's, that's what we do. That, that has been my uh, driving passion in terms of research. Uh, the character on the right, which whom you may or may not recognize, is actually Archimedes. Um, Archimedes is famous for running out of the bath, scre screeching, uh, Eureka, I found it. I would think of it as uh, Archimedes was a mathematician. He had a problem which nobody could solve. He was in the bath uh, and turning over in his mind, he accidentally came across the solution by noticing something in nature around him. Uh, and from that was able to solve a very important problem, determining whether the equivalent of a gold coin was actually gold or not. So uh, that's what has, has driven me. When you talk about applied or basic research, uh, the work I do at the moment, which is probably why you're not, uh, wouldn't be interested in that topic. Uh, the latest paper we've written with my great Chinese student, Dawei Mai, Analysis of wandering spur patterns in a fractional N frequency synthesizer with a MASH-based divider controller. Um, 
Each of you has in your pocket, if you have a mobile phone, you probably have about two, three, maybe even four MASH-based <laughs> divider controllers in frequency synthesizers, but that's another story. Um, it's a problem that it's mathematics, it's basic research. We happened upon something by accident, uh, but it led to an invention, which we now have a, a patent which will solve a problem that most people didn't even know they had. Anyway. That's that topic. I'll say no more about me. That's what I do. My story is really about the RIA. And a bit like Nicholas, um, I have uh, had numerous engagements with the RIA. Uh, to me, it was just I, I didn't know where it was until I uh, was living at a time when there was no money to do research. And if there was no money to do research, you were really desperate. Uh, luckily, the Soviet block or the Eastern Bloc had been uh, locked out from research for a long time. And in order to promote um, what's now called science diplomacy, there were these bilateral grants between for former or Eastern Bloc countries and countries in the West to allow scientists to exchange ideas. Uh, and so there were some legacy grants, Hungary, Ireland, Poland, Ireland. Now, Hungarians like to come to Ireland. but there weren't too many Irish who wanted to go to Hungary or to Poland at the time. So, well, it was easy to get those grants. So I took them up and traveled to Hungary and to Poland and, and started some research collaborations which have endured for a very long time. Um, Jerry Rickson is in the audience. I think Jerry uh, nominated me for the Parsons Award in Engineering Sciences in 2001. Uh, I think he also nominated me for membership of the Academy in 2004. But it really started to get exciting when uh, I, was, I became Policy and International Relations Secretary. Uh, Tom Brazel was the person who twisted my arm. He asked me to do that. The first time he asked me, I couldn't do it because I was doing other things. One year later, he persisted. He asked me again. And I said, OK, fine, I'll do that. Um, and in doing it, I was exposed to uh, the European flag. Uh, and what happens on the international stage. And so got to compare other ways of doing things and, and seeing how others run their academies, what we have in common, and what's different, and what's best. Um, I presented once. I gave a technical talk in the academy in 2014. Uh, I was asked, actually, by Nicholas. He twisted my arm to become <laughs> president in 20, uh, 2017. Uh, and that's it. So that's my RA engagement. It started with a travel grant at a time when there was no money available and it had that it was transformational for me. So on to the topic, learned academies. Um, I learned this word from uh, my German colleague uh, Wissenschaft. So when we talk about learned academies and what they do, it's about promoting science with the asterisk Wissenschaft, the meaning of a systematic academic study of any area. So that's both sciences and uh, humanities and social sciences. Uh, so we're promoting science, learning, and academic research. We like to think in this part of the world that it all started with the Royal Society in 1660. But unfortunately, when you go back and you check the facts, as we tend to do in our business, um, you find this Academia Secretorum in 1560 in Naples, where um, this was, uh, this was an academy which was about discovering the mysteries of nature. 
And candidates for membership had to present a new fact in natural science as a condition for membership. And many of us would be elected on that basis today. Um, unfortunately, uh, they were doing very interesting things, which at the time, I suppose, was uh, akin to sorcery. So they were shut down in 1578 by the Inquisition. Um, a little bit later, we had the Académie des Linchés uh, in 1603, and uh, Galileo was very proud to be called a Lincheo. Uh, they too were shut down by the Inquisition, 1651. Uh, but the Germans started in 1652 uh, the Leopoldina, and the Leopoldina today is still the National Academy. Well, there's on and off periods in their history. Uh, but it's the National Academy of Germany. So there was a lot going on in terms of academies. France joined the picture, the Russians joined in, uh, across the Atlantic to America, and there we are, 1785. So academies have been going for certainly over 400 years. Um, and, well, they've persisted. And why have they persisted? So what were what are the selling points of uh, an academy? Well, the original selling points, this was a collection of experts in humanities and social sciences, or sciences, uh, playing a national role. They were independent, free thinkers, say it like it is, do everything based on fact, uh, developed peer review processes to exchange things to check what's true, what's not true, um, to uh, share uh, different views of the world. International networks are very important and have continued to be important. Many collected cultural artifacts uh, because they were important to their countries and because they were important to understand who, who we are, uh, where we came from and where we, where we go. Uh, many have been publishers of journals and books, research funders, and many research performing. Now, if we look at the Royal Society, uh, which started with the original name Royal Society of London for Improving Natural Knowledge, uh, it has these things, the collection of experts in science, people like Newton and Darwin were members. It was independent, uh, the motto being nullius in verba, don't believe anything uh, in words, check the facts. Um, international network was extremely important, peer review processes, a publisher of major journals, the Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society, still going today, uh, the Principia Mathematica of Newton. Um, I can proudly say that I published in Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society. Uh, I was a student in the US at the time, and my advisor said to me, you should publish in this journal. And I said, this journal, I never heard of this journal. Why would I publish in this journal? And he said to me, that's where Newton published. Okay, we'll publish there. Um, now, they've also been a, a research funder. But in terms of publications, uh, the, this is the original uh, philosophical transactions. And looking at this the other day, I was thinking of Andrew Carpenter and a wonderful lecture he gave here about Gulliver's Travels. Because if you read the cover, it's a, an account of the present undertakings, studies, and labors of the ingenious in many considerable parts of the world, uh, perhaps an inspiration for Gulliver's travel. Now, over time, 
uh, these unique selling points haven't been so unique. The collection of experts in humanities and social sciences, well, universities were founded and people gathered in other places. Um, the academies continued to be independent because other forces came into play in terms of the collections of experts. The international networks have always been important, but other ne international networks grew. The peer review processes have always been important, the collections of cultural artifacts, but then museums started to appear. Publishers, that was a good business, so lots got into that, and the publication business became harder. Research funding, well, some groups, states didn't like elite academies funding research, so research funders started to evolve, and many of the academies uh, stopped being research performing. So if we look today at academies around the world, I think most still share the it's a collection of experts in humanities, social sciences, or sciences, uh, normally play a national role, uh, are deeply committed to being independent of because it's all about the truth. Um, the international networks are very important, but some of the other things have faded somewhat. So what does it mean, experts? And if we uh, think of ourselves, experts, we like to think we're good at something. I have a good friend in, in uh, Willie Sanson at KU Leuven, and Willie always says um, it becomes, it takes 10 years to become good at anything. So whether it's playing the piano or playing guitar, uh, being an expert at something takes 10 years. So we read a lot, we reflect a lot. We hopefully develop understandings and insights, and then we can't control ourselves. We want to share these with everybody. Look what we have found. And so we communicate. In developing our understanding, we share our experiences, our thoughts, we get feedback from others, we discuss a lot, we write a lot, um, and we teach. We have what I would call a primary expertise, and that's in the, the subject we have studied. Uh, we have a subject expertise and uh, insights. One of the other things that we sometimes take for granted is what I would call the secondary expertise. We become very good at critical thinking, whether it's in our field or not. Um, we are very good at research processes, and we also do a lot of volunteering. So I'll, I'll say something about these things. Now, the national role piece, um, why are academies valued? Um, in, in many parts of the world, uh, the academies provide policy advice to their governments. Uh, sometimes they're asked for advice, sometimes they provide it without being asked. Um, it's a very important thing. Uh, certainly for, for academics, we feel passionately about our subject. We want the best. We also feel passionately about our communities. And we typically have an international perspective and we want what's best for, for the world. Um, we facilitate discourse in a, uh, a neutral way. Uh, different groups can come together in the academy where they mightn't be able to do if there's a, if there's a uh, a particular one particular sponsor or another. Uh, most have an interest in education and research, and again, as national academies, uh, culture and heritage is important. The independence is extremely important to academies, from the Royal Society's 
don't believe anything you're told. Um, evidence is so important and even more important today. Uh, lots of people have opinions about how to do things, have quick fix solutions to many of the very difficult problems that the world faces. Um, and academies can reflect over extended periods with many different voices to give um, evidence-based opinions. In that independence, how do we secure it? Well, one of the ways, and again, this is, I should say, while I was in, uh, in the role of Policy and International Relations Secretary, uh, I was sitting on the board of Aliad, all European academies, and I was given the job of membership secretary. So I had to decide which academies from across Europe could call themselves academies and be admitted to Aliad. So we had very strict rules. But one was, it's members elected by members, and it was all about excellence and uh, independence. Multiple disciplines are involved, which allows us to see things from different points of view multiple institutions, multiple cultures, and this gives us a richness uh, to our whatever opinion we produce. It's based on evidence. The academies, too, uh, have the peer review processes. Now, again, we just take this for granted, and it's, it's interesting. In the role as president, I've had interactions with other bodies, and it's surprising sometimes that they don't know how to do this, and yet we take it for granted. Because we review papers all the time, we review grant applications, we sit on promotion panels, we are typically members of scholarly or professional bodies, edit journals, books, judge competition. We do it all the time, and we take it for granted. But it's something that's very important. And along the way, we pick up a couple of other things about conflict of interest and research integrity that aren't always uh, available in other spheres. So that's a very important uh, feature of uh, the academy. The international networks, it's very interesting again how academies across Europe in particular, the, the ones I've uh, dealt with in the international relations role, uh, share best practices. Um, we have uh, interdisciplinary unions which share compare notes across disciplines, how people are doing things in different countries. We have contacts. I guess everybody in the room knows people in different countries. And if somebody asked you to introduce them to somebody in that country, there's a good chance you might know them in your discipline or through some of your uh, networks. Uh, and so we can, we can do that. And that's becoming more and more important again when you think of how we're going to solve the problems of the world. We will have to do it by working together. We have that. We have multiple disciplines, again, multiple institutions, multiple cultures, multiple perspectives. So that's the international piece. Now, the other piece uh, in terms of academies internationally is the collection of cultural artifacts. So many came from an origin where maybe it was the educated of the country wanted to uh, protect and preserve the culture of the country. So this became extremely important. And through, you look around you, uh, our academy has collected many, many things through donations, assisted acquisitions. These treasures that we have allow others to engage in research. Nicholas says every time he's in Dublin, he's, 
doing a new bit of work, not possible without this uh, great resource. We can also do things like organize exhibitions and share uh, these treasures and the meaning of these treasures with others. Again, academies are publishers. This is a business that's becoming a little bit harder, to say the least. Um, publishers from old days of uh, journals and books. There was a time when there was a unique language of publishing, which was uh, Latin. And now we have English, and I think we're very important. Uh, we're very lucky that we have uh, that in our favor. Re research funding. Um, some academies give grants, not all. Uh, some have been superseded by national bodies that look after grants. And in terms of the research performing, there are two groups. If you go to the Eastern Bloc, many of the academies there are still set up as academicians in research institutes whose primary job is research in their disciplines. Others, and I'd say most others, are doing uh, policy research in things like research and education culture and heritage. So how do we stand up as an academy? Um, we, our tagline, uh, the Royal Irish Academy is Ireland's leading body of experts in the sciences and humanities. So we're claiming the whole space. Um, how do we do this? Well, we clearly have that collection of disciplines. We have experts. We have members elected by members. We have a national role. Um, we, I'll mention later about governance. We have a very, um, I think when governance structures around the world are under threat, we have one which is unique and very, very special to us. And I think it's something we must fight to preserve. We have the international networks. Uh, I'll say something about Ali and ESAC and others, and we have strong peer review processes. We do that in terms of medals, innovation awards, and so on. Uh, we have our collection of cultural artifacts surrounds you. Uh, we're a publisher, journal of, and books. We're a search funder. Maybe not big grants, but we actually do the very small grants that transform young people's careers. So in terms of the bang for the buck, uh, we do a great job. We also have a national role in looking after archaeology grants. We are research performing uh, through the projects here and also through uh, the policy work. So what are the challenges? You might say uh, 450 years of academies, or in our case, over 200 years of an academy. Um, OK, some things have worked very well. Uh, what does it look like for the future? And I think the big issue, the big question we need to be able to answer clearly uh, is what's the relevance of an academy? Are we still relevant? Um, how do we fund this? What's the best model? Volunteering is central to what we do, and we need to get that right. And how do we organize ourselves? So I put up this picture because when I came into the role of president, I invited a colleague into a meeting in this room. And he came into this room and he said, Peter, 
I was the youngest person in the room. He was 60. And they were all men. So there's a certain perception of academies. And we need to show that we are not like uh, some of those perceptions. So in terms of the, uh, the relevance, and I would say the value proposition, we have that expert pool. And that is invaluable. And again, in my encounters with government bodies and with others, um, they see us as extremely important in a way that we don't always recognize ourselves. So that national role is actually extremely valuable. We are known as a place where one can come and talk about topics uh, across various sectors of society. Um, and we produce reports that are evidence-based. We consider the facts. We don't always come down. There is uh, black and white. If it is gray, we'll show that it's gray. And it's, we'll, uh, that's very important. There are two areas uh, from my background in the policy side. We have today what's called science for policy, the policy for science. Science for policy is when uh, policymakers have to make a decision which uh, needs to be influenced by the scientific evidence. Uh, how do you make that decision in the right way? How do you uh, know what the science says? It's policy for science, which is how do you organize Wissenschaft? How do you organize the, the research you might want to do? How do you organize your education system and so on? Strategic research partnerships, if you're going to be a research performing body, you better make sure that you are working with the right partners. Recognizing excellence in academic achievement is central to what we do. We have an obligation to nurture talent. We have an obligation to our cultural artifacts. And we have a publishing wing, which I think gives us a particular advantage. So let's just look at the first that expert pool and some of the things that we have been able to do that I'm not sure others could have done. Through the uh, decade of centenaries, I see um, Mary Daly at the back, uh, members and through her presidency, we were able to participate in helping the state get things right about many of the commemorations. We have a program called the Parliamentary Pairings, where we have paired politicians and scientists, so each could see the other's point of view. We have been very strong in the education and research policy. Um, we we're talking about how you fund higher education. Uh, this is a paper from four years ago. And it was interesting, earlier in the day, we had a hustings of the uh, seven party uh, education spokespeople in Trinity uh, discussing the funding of higher education. And Mary Mitchell O'Connor stood up and said, I am the first minister for higher education. That happened as a result of a piece of work that we did on 
how do you fund higher education? How do you organize higher education? Do you need a minister for higher education? Um, we suggested we should have one. Uh, culture and heritage, we've had a number of very important pieces of work. Uh, Mary Canning here has been driving a lot of that work. We have archaeology. Gabriel and others have been working on developing a national strategy for archaeology. We have provided representatives to different organizations. So uh, a body will come to us, government department will come to us and say, can you find a representative for X? We will find the most suitably qualified person for that. So we could run uh, processes to choose appropriate rep representatives. One we did recently was for the European Southern Observatory. We also, because of what we do naturally in terms of running competitions, we were approached by the American Chamber to run a research, to re run their research innovation awards. Now, I asked the American Chamber, why did you come to us? We wouldn't exactly be industry-focused, innovation-driven. And the reason they came to us is because we are trusted to run the process. So that piece of what we do is invaluable. And that gives us a role that I'm not sure others could do. We also, this academy is an all-island academy. And so uh, Jerry McKenna has been pushing very hard on the north-south dimension. And we have built great relationships north and south through our membership, through dialogue, at a time when there was a dysfunctional government in the north. We have brought people together. We started to work with the British Academy in a way we never did before, and produced a sequence of very nice pieces of work on Brexit and the implications of that. Now again, who else could have done this very, very important work? Then there's the, the discourse, which is our, where we bring people together to talk about things. Um, Mason Hayes Curran came aboard as a sponsor of the discourse series. And it was very interesting because in the past we had discourses where it was members talking to members. And now we had to think about, well, how do we reach a wider public? And so we asked our disciplinary committees to pick topics that would have wider appeal and focus on those. And so we've had a wonderful series of uh, discourses on a variety of topics. Again, I'm not sure many others could have done this. As a discussion forum, we've brought people together for a number of things. We have, uh, we have uh, the Hamilton Lecture. I mentioned to you that my advisor had said to me, publishing the Journal of the Royal Society, because Newton had published there. We're able to attract very uh, distinguished mathematicians to speak to give the distinguished lecture, uh, Hamilton Lecture, in Ireland. And the reason we can attract these people is because Hamilton was here and they come to 
Hamilton. We also, and again, this is, was partly fortunate uh, through the focus of the discourse series, we've been able to attract Nobel laureates. Now, I saw some, uh, some people very excited the other day that they were able to meet a Nobel laureate. And if we look back over the past two years, we have had three Nobel laureates speaking in this room. And the next generation has got to meet Nobel laureates. The science for policy piece, I think, is extremely important. Now, my bias on this front comes from my experience working as Policy and International Relations Secretary. As Policy and International Relations Secretary, I sat on a group called the European Academy of Science Advisory Council, ESEC. And ESEC is academies across Europe looking at what does the science say about different issues. So in the past, this was driven by the academics. Oh, that's a great topic. Let's uh, work on that topic. And then we started to get some traction. And we were asked, well, what do you think about this? Can you tell us what to do about this? The Royal Irish Academy took the lead on a project through Mark O'Malley at UCD. But the Royal Irish Academy took the lead on a project about electrical energy storage. For those of you who know about electrical energy, and we're all delighted about this wonderful future where it's all going to be electric, there's a little problem with electricity that you have to produce instantaneously the same amount that you're consuming. And this is an extremely difficult technical problem. So how, if you're producing too much, or uh, what do you do with the excess? How do you store it for when you can't produce enough? And so we have this big project across Europe. Now, it could not have been done. And in fact, many of the solutions to the electricity supply problem require collaboration across Europe because different people can do different things. Uh, the French can give us a great baseline supply of electricity. The Nordic countries can store a lot of the excess energy so that we can get it back later. But it's only through collaboration that we can make this work. And it was very interesting to see how the bodies came together to share this is the best way uh, that we, if we want to solve these problems, uh, for the world, we'll have to collaborate. And this is what the science says. After Fukushima, uh, the uh, German government went to the Leopoldina Academy and said, what are we going to do about nuclear power? And the academy uh, studied, discussed with others, and came back with recommendations that ultimately led to the German government deciding we will shut down our nuclear power stations. There was a very interesting uh, question put to the chief science advisor of the uh, European Commission at the time, uh, Anne Glover. And she came to a group of us in one of these meetings and said, there is a problem. It is suspected that a chemical called neonicotinoid uh, is killing bees and pollinators. Is this true? Should we ban these chemicals? What should we do? And it was very interesting because no, there were very few people who knew about the topic. And only through sharing the question 
through an academy network across the academies of Europe, could we collect the evidence to answer that question? Similar, very interesting, we talk about the sciences and the humanities, and Nicholas was one of those who tried to bring uh, two sides together. There's another very interesting uh, issue, which is genetically modified crops. So the science said they're not going to do any harm. But people in some countries don't want them, and people in other countries do. And so it's not about the science. It's about the perception. It's about politics. It's about social science. And there are so many problems where it's not about the science. It's about the social sciences and science working together to solve many of these problems. That learning through European Union, trying first a um, chief science advisor, didn't work. Set up a science advice mechanism, didn't work. Third attempt is the thing called SAPEA. And SAPEA is all the umbrella bodies of the academies across Europe sharing everything they know to give the best possible assessment of what the issue is. So that's where we have reached. And the learning was, if you have that collection of experts, they, will, they can provide the answers. And the extraordinary thing about SAPEA, again, I was involved in the writing the grant application for SAPEA, and we were applying for a certain amount of money. And it was very clear that you could, you could get the money for the organization, uh, for the administration, and the collection of the evidence. But it was made clear from the very start, none of the experts who provided the evidence would be paid. Everybody who is providing this is doing it for the good of the European Union. It's quite extraordinary. Uh, our academy, again, has been involved in one of these projects, the Food from the Oceans. Second one is the, the policy for science. So this is the European Federation of Academies for Sciences and Humanities, ALEA. One of the most important things it did recently was a code of conduct for uh, research integrity. Again, our academy played an important role in developing this. It has become policy across Europe. It has propagated down through all the national funding bodies. Uh, it has also driven the discussions about ethics, intellectual property. I mentioned earlier that um, we applied for an American patent for our work. And you wonder, well, you're in Europe. Why are you doing that? It's because in Europe, we still haven't agreed in a simple way of sharing intellectual property, patenting things. Uh, digital humanities has been a priority for uh, the, the ALIA. Open science is something that we're struggling with at the moment. And it's, it's interesting that uh, that has even a longer history here in Ireland. And trust in science. Uh, we have a world where everybody's an expert, but who are the real experts? And how do you, um, how do you gain trust and how do you keep trust? In terms of strategic partnerships, the Academy has some beautiful models which work well. We have a project, for example, the Footlore Staril Nugelga, which I would consider is a, is a beautiful model of how research is done. You have ongoing research in the background, 
but you can leverage that to get something that has impact in the short term. So we've had a very nice publication from that. And again, by having a publication unit, the history of Ireland in 100 words. We have the documents in Irish foreign policy, which is a collaboration, long-term collaboration, Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Uh, it was described by Niall Burgess as, I don't know if you've ever seen the documents in Irish poli foreign policy, but it is a beautiful green book with nondescript covers uh, describing the communications between diplomats over an extended period. Um, and Niall Burgess, the Secretary General of the Department, he described it as the most interesting content between the two most boring covers of any book. <laughs> that has put us in a position where we were commissioned to produce a beautiful book, uh, Ireland Voice Among Nations, celebrating 100 years of uh, Ireland's um, diplomatic relations. We have the Irish Historic Towns Atlas, which takes us out into the community. Um, when, when people around the country wonder what is the academy, or uh, local governments uh, wonder what is the academy, the Irish Historic Towns Atlas, I had the experience of going to Drogheda for the launch of the, the Drogheda uh, volume. And it was very interesting how something which looked like geography and history was actually having a huge impact because when locally they wanted to name a new estate or name a road, they could use influences that had been there from history rather than generating something afresh. And it's, it's incredible the impact that this project has. But it's partnerships with those who understand we are in a unique position to contribute. In recognizing academic achievement, uh, I mentioned the Hamilton. We have encouraging young people, the Hamilton Prize, the Chemistry Prize, we have the Cunningham Medal winner, and we have our uh, Kathleen at the back, uh, gold medal winner in the humanities and sciences. So we promote excellence, we shout about it, we celebrate it. Nurturing talent, um, Nicholas again mentioned how important those little grants were. The former bilaterals with the Eastern Bloc countries were all rolled into one. I think this happened under Mary's presidency as well, um, the, which we call the Charlemagne grants. And the Charlemagne grants are now uh, grants named after the, the founder of the academy, uh, Charlemagne, who at that time went on the grand tour of Europe to educate himself. We also have in our strategic plan a young academy, which will modeled on some of the best practices uh, across Europe, uh, where we will formalize the development of younger people who have a different perspective, who are often better connected to some of the problems that are so important today. In terms of the cultural artifacts, I, I, I was fascinated by the history of the academies collecting. So we have uh, some great treasures that belong to the academy, but we ultimately pass them to the National Museum. Now, these have been recorded in this great book, uh, The History of Ireland in 100 Objects. And I had a wonderful experience with this book. It's kind of a very sad story. Uh, 
there was a copy of the history of Ireland and 100 objects sitting upstairs in the gold room and the Norwegian ambassador came in to visit and we started talking about Vikings and I shared with her this book and I then went downstairs into the library and there was Howard Clark uh, our expert on Vikings so I introduced her to the ambassador and Howard became our uh, unofficial ambassador probably the Viking Dublin uh, ambassador to uh, Norway uh, <laughs> and I think we had we had great impact through what he has done the library uh, slowly I have come to uh, learn more about individual pieces in our library there really are some fascinating treasures in there and there is so much more to be done with what we have interpreting uh, who we are and where we go the uh, related to that um, it's always a bit sad for me when I see that we have a manuscript and we're told there are 20 pages here and there are 20 pages in Leuven and there are 20 pages in Oxford wouldn't it be great to see it all together and through the Digital Humanities Project and recent collaboration with Belgium in the, at the Belgian Museum and uh, the Irish College in Leuven, we could bring together through Irish script on screen the pages of the book and reassemble it after generations. We also, through the cultural artifacts, uh, can educate the public through exhibitions. So we had wonderful series organized by the library staff. It all kind of happens in the background. Uh, but there's this great work being done here. Um, our harp, the display case for the harp has uh, recently been renovated, the Thomas Moore harp. And I came across this picture in the uh, National Gallery, which actually is Thomas Moore at work with this harp there sitting in the on the floor in the corner. Um, we also, through a donor, were able to get a copy of uh, Lala Rook, an original Lala Rook, and uh, have that as part of our exhibition of Thomas More. So we have a collection, and one of the things that happened through that uh, exhibition was that the gallery had a book that we could use, and later we have things that the gallery can use. So we've, we're building relationships with other cultural institutions as well. We also um, had an event where uh, we were, worked with the Polish government. Uh, Poland was celebrating this gentleman, Paul Strzelecki, uh, who worked during famine times to save so many Irish people. And uh, that brought the president into the, this room that evening, and he remarked, that this is the most beautiful room in Dublin. So maybe we should be charging a higher rental fee. Um, publishing is in our DNA, uh, starting with the proceedings of the Royal Irish Academy in olden times, which has evolved and branched and bifurcated. Um, and I guess the publishing business is becoming harder and harder, especially with open access. But there are things that we can do, and if we didn't do them, who else would? And there are things that are worth doing. Uh, 
And so it is, that's a piece that's very uh, important to us. In the books, uh, we have a tremendous publishing unit in the, um, the judging series. We have uh, the, the Judging Shaw, we had an exhibition related to Judging Shaw, but then we had a collaboration with the Department of Defense where at the launch of the LEGB Shaw, our exhibition was there, and our exhibition about Shaw is now touring with the ship as it uh, does its business. Uh, we also have always had uh, reach out into Europe, uh, sharing perspectives, Irish scholars uh, looking to Europe, and uh, that's another recent publication you may be aware of. My favorite, of course, the Ireland in 100 Objects. I gave a lecture in California uh, last year, and uh, as spot prizes, I had two spot prizes. Uh, I had a quiz at my lecture. There were one spot prize was a bottle of whiskey. The second spot prize was Ireland in 100 Objects. Um, so the, the winner wanted the Ireland in 100 Objects. He sent me an email the following day that his wife uh, had flicked through the book and she said she was already booking their holiday to Ireland. So uh, we can sell more of them. Now, which brings us to funding. How do we pay for all of this? Uh, we are funded by the state and at election time you see that everybody wants more money for what they do. Uh, we absolutely play a fundamental role in terms of this country. Uh, that is why we have government funding for, for, for core operations. And that's why we need to maintain that. We also uh, work with individual groups for funding on specific projects. We have revenue from programs publishing services. The members um, contribute. Uh, we have endowment income, donations, sponsorship. And I was thinking about those treasures that we had acquired. Where did the academy get the money to buy the Arda Chalice and the Cross of Calm and the Tower of Roach? And accidentally, and I was up in Jilly's office the other day, and we found this plate uh, which, with the modern technology, you can read the mirror writing. And you see that the academy actually bought all those items. This is a flyer that was produced saying, the committee of the Royal Irish Academy will buy your items. Um, and it wasn't for the national good. It was because we will pay a higher price than any dealer. Anyway, so uh, the members' support of the academy was important at that time. It says the Royal Irish Academy has been committed to saving the treasures of the nation. And it was the membership put in the money to get that done. Uh, last piece that's most important is the in-kind, and this brings us to volunteering. Um, I'm in another professional body, and we have training about volunteering. And what I remember most from that training was uh, that volunteer is a verb, not a noun. Uh, you volunteer if you believe in what you are doing, uh, that there is a mission and a purpose and it is worthwhile. And if you are asked to do it, you do it because you believe. Uh, we need to recognize our volunteers. We need to reward our volunteers. And we need to be uh, 
inclusive. This is a membership, uh, a, a certificate, nomination for membership, um, somebody being nominated by Rowan Hamilton, William Rowan Hamilton and colleagues at the time. Uh, but it says, and we haven't changed, we're joining, promoting this person for membership of the academy because they're likely to prove a useful and valuable member. They'll pay their subscription and they'll volunteer. Uh, and we need to be inclusive. So in terms of organization then, uh, governance, it's again interesting in the presidency going through the documentation for state bodies and how state bodies are, are controlled. And there's so much legislation around that. And uh, the government puts its fingers in so many places. And yet we are trusted, the members running the organization, uh, spending state funds, and we're trusted to do that. And again, uh, that's something that has been very important to the academy and is something that we should uh, guard closely. Uh, we have had great leadership. We have had some uh, issues in the past year about, or years of staff leaving. And when staff leave, they can sometimes bring a lot of the institutional knowledge with them. So as an academy, one of the things we are committed to doing in, term, in the strategic plan is formalizing that institutional knowledge, the business processes, the organizational structure, and critically, to be able to answer questions about, uh, do you know the answer to this problem? Uh, we need to know who knows what. And so an expert database is very important to what we will do. So those um, ideas uh, are, I guess, summarized in our strategic plan. We have three points to serve Ireland. That's our national role, to represent Ireland. And I think the international piece is critical there. And to build a modern academy, which is inclusive, representative uh, of independent experts who care about what they're doing and who we are as a country. So in summary, um, I said something about learning academies, the unique selling points of those. If I were to pick my top two or three, uh, it's about experts. We have to be trusted. We have to act with integrity at all times. Um, and if we don't know something, we don't know it. We are independent. We, and governance is critical to that. I was involved through Alia in another academy where governance was an issue. Uh, and it's, it's very important that you have to be independent and that, that has to be organized properly. The international network is critical for us. We put a bit into that international network, but we get a lot more out of it. And that's central to what we need to do going forward. And that national role, there are things that we do, there are things that we care about that others maybe don't have as uh, priorities or they can't do. Certainly there are challenges, but the founders of the academy knew that there would always be challenges. And when faced with the challenge, they said, our motto, we will endeavor. Endeavor coming from the French, en devoir, it is a duty and we will do it 
do our utmost because it is our duty. And with that, I would like to thank a few people. As Nicholas has said, he's here. Uh, many had influenced him. Um, I want to thank uh, Tom Razzle for twisting my arm to get involved in policy and international relations. Uh, without him, I suppose I would never have got involved in the academy. Uh, Gunter Stock was the president of Alia, and he uh, put me in charge of membership uh, of other academies. So I was involved in bringing the Catalonian Academy into Alia. I had to bring multiple Belgian academies of varieties into. I brought two Italian academies in. Uh, I had a fight with the Turks. Um, it was an interesting time. But I learned a lot. And as Nicholas said, uh, one of the things about volunteering is you actually get more out of it than you put in. Uh, I've had a great help in the past three years uh, from Mary, Stephen, and uh, Pat, the, the four musketeers. Uh, There's been tremendous support. I want to thank the staff of the academy who work in the background, making everything happen. Uh, sometimes we don't even see them. But without their tremendous work, uh, we couldn't be the great place we are. I'd like to thank all the support, especially the membership. Uh, we were counting the other day, and we, looked, we said approximately a quarter of the members of the academy are involved in volunteering in one way or another. And that's a huge, huge contribution to this country. Uh, so all the supporters, financial or otherwise, and finally, I have to thank my wife, Rosanna. Uh, I all, we always joke that she has more qualifications than I do. Um, I wouldn't be here without her support, and I think uh, her uh, insights, her integrity, uh, have been reflected in my contribution to the Academy. Um, so with that, thanks to those who provided the images. There was a wonderful uh, meeting over the summer of uh, the American Philosophical Society where they reflected on the things and they sent me a, a draft of their uh, comparison of different academies, which has influenced some of what I've said here this evening. Uh, unfortunately, we were financially constrained and I didn't go to this meeting, but they did share the proceedings of the conference. Uh, so with that, I thank you and I'll be happy to answer questions or share my thoughts if you wish.